from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please turn with me to Psalm 2. Why do nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord is anything saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrifying them in this very saying, I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make your nation's heritage and the ends of earth your possession. You shall break, break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a porter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of earth, serve the Lord with fear. With trembling kiss his feet, or he will be angry, and you will perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Thank you, Sadie. Before I read our gospel lesson, I'd like to welcome any children we have with us this morning. I see several here in the front row. If you all would like to come meet Miss Katie just here to go to Godly Play, she'll take you right down the hall. So good to see you all. Have a wonderful time at Godly Play. Got to get there. Good job. Our second lesson comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, and then 11 through 26. Here again, God's word for us this morning. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, Jesus did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they'd gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For Pilate realized that it was out of jealousy that the priests had handed him over. While Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? 
And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please be seated. And let us pray. Lord God, from this old word, speak to us the message we need for just this moment and for all the days ahead. In Christ's holy name we pray, amen. Well, friends, I preached Epiphany, uh, and if you recall, maybe you don't, that sermon was largely about the character of King Herod because of his role in the Epiphany story, and today's the first Sunday in Lent, and I've drawn the character of Pontius Pilate. Feels a little like I'm on a tour of the villains of the Bible. Maybe next I'll preach about Pharaoh or Job's friends. Yeah, some of you got that nerdy Bible reference there. I'm just kidding, of course. This isn't a series about heroes and villains. This Lent, our sermon series, is called Characters at the Cross. Just as we had a series during Advent about the characters we find at the creche, there at the birth of Jesus, for the Sundays of Lent, we're going to look at six different characters who were present around our Lord's crucifixion and death. Lent is a season for honesty, a season to get honest and to reflect. And looking closely at the scene of Christ's passion, we hope to learn about our world, about ourselves, about what needs to change. And we start with Pontius Pilate. Now that might feel a little like we're skipping ahead because the scene I just read a minute ago is the moment when Jesus is turned over by Pilate to be crucified. And that will come weeks from now. That's part of what happens on Good Friday. And we don't want to leap forward to Good Friday and skip the journey of Lent. So this morning we're looking at Pontius Pilate not because we've arrived at that place in the story but because Pilate is part of our Lord's story. And examining his role in Christ's death helps us see truth about our world today. But first, a little context. There isn't a lot in Roman historical documents about Pontius Pilate. Some things that confirm his dates, his title, his images on some coins, Joel helpfully pointed out to me this morning. But most of what we know about him is actually from Jewish and Christian writings, writings from people of faith who were impacted by his rule. And overall, it's a pretty negative picture about how he ruled. We know that he was a Roman governor of Judea from 26 to 36 BCE. So he was part of the power structure of the Roman Empire, and he was specifically responsible for the region of Judea. Now, 10 years was a long time to be governor. It might not sound that long to us, but it was an unusually long time to hold that role. So Pilate must have stayed in Rome's good graces. Some records, particularly from Jewish history, tell us how he maintained peace or something more like control, and that was by squashing dissent, by suppressing practice of Jewish faith, and sometimes by killing innocent people. His government used intimidation and threats and violence. At one point, he even disguised Roman soldiers as Jewish civilians so that they could get closer to Jews and do them more harm. That's who we're looking at this morning. Pilate also appears in our Christian writings, 
All four gospel accounts include him and their stories about Jesus's life. Pilate was in power as John the Baptist prepared the way, and Pilate was governor during all of Jesus's earthly ministry. So in a sense, Pilate is the context around Jesus. We know that Jesus came to challenge power, especially power held by violence, and Pilate is that power. He's the power that's the backdrop for Jesus as he preached and taught and performed miracles. In fact, we say this every time we say the Apostles' Creed, as we will in just a minute. The Apostles' Creed, as you remember, is one of the statements that we use to affirm our faith. It's been used by Christians for centuries, and it's really a short, it's the shortest creed, a short expression of what we believe. It talks about each person of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and it names just some highlights, if you will, only three things about Jesus's life. You know them. One, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Two, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate and three, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. Pontius Pilate is right there, even in our shortest creed, because he was an essential part of the context. He was why Jesus needed to perform his miracles. He's the backdrop, in some ways, to our whole faith. Pilate represents a system of violence under which Jesus suffered. Now, when we look at the four Gospels, interestingly, we get some differences in how they portray Pilate. They have some commonalities, but they have some different things to say about how this scene went and how Pilate participated. In Mark's Gospel, I'm going to give you just the highlights from the four. Mark's Gospel, Pilate questions Jesus about being king of the Jews and actually asks him to answer these trumped-up charges against him. Pilate knows that Jesus has been brought there by people who have an agenda, and he's amazed that Jesus does not defend himself or argue his case. Pilate turns to the crowd and and offers to release Jesus, but those same priests have whipped the crowd into a frenzy, and they're chanting those awful words, crucify him. Mark tells us that Pilate asks what Jesus has done to deserve such a fate, but gets no answer just the chant of crucify him and Pilate sends a blameless man to die. John's gospel is much the same with the same questioning and the same realization that Jesus is innocent before the release of Barabbas. Luke gives us some different details. Luke has Pilate questioning Jesus himself, a sort of mini trial, if you will, and then Luke calls together a group of priests to tell them that he's examined Jesus, and Jesus is not guilty. He doesn't deserve a death sentence, so Pilate plans to release him. The crowd again calls for Barabbas, but Luke insists that Pilate wants to release Jesus anyway. In Luke's gospel, he goes back to the crowd three times, an echo of Peter's three denials of Jesus in this same story, and three times the crowd insists, crucify him. Luke says that the voice of the crowd prevailed. Matthew's account, the one I just read at length, shows this same chanting crowd, a sort of first century political rally calling for a spectacle of violence. 
In Matthew, again, Pilate asks the crowd, why should Jesus be crucified? For what evil has he done? Here the gospel tells us that Pilate saw that he could do nothing, whether we believe that to be true or not, but that a riot was beginning. So Pilate placates the crowd and sends Jesus to die. Matthew includes this interesting detail that Pilate first washes his hands in front of them and tells them that he is innocent of Jesus' blood. As you hear, there are some elements that are the same across these four stories. Pilate questions Jesus and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? In each, Pilate is also negotiating with someone else, so talking to Jesus, but also talking to the crowd or talking to a group of priests or a group of leaders, getting input about how this should go down. In some Gospels, Pilate has a direct role in pronouncing Jesus' fate. In others, he distances himself from it. So what is Pontius Pilate about? Is he brutal and cruel? Is he weak and pitiable? Maybe his hand-washing is political theater. Or maybe he's actually conflicted about the decision in front of him. Is he apathetic or callous, unbothered by condemning an innocent man? We don't know. Stacks of PhD dissertations have been written about this, but at the end of the day, we cannot read Pilate's mind or know for sure his motivation. But at least one commonality from these stories is important for us now, and that is that Pilate knowingly sends an innocent man to die. Under Pilate's rule, a righteous man, the only truly righteous man, is put to a violent, horrific death. This is how Pilate governs. So when we look at this character at the cross, we see all power that is held by violence. We see that he is the very powers and principalities that Jesus came to topple. When we see Pilate, we see empire. Now, I know that's a big word. Empire might seem like it's something long ago and far away. It was something our Jewish ancestors and early Christians had to contend with when they wanted to worship or start a church and the Roman Empire was looking over their shoulder. But the Roman Empire is long gone, something we studied in history class. It didn't keep any of you from coming to worship today. No Roman soldiers stopped you on your way in. It's certainly not threatening our lives. But examining the character of Pontius Pilate invites us to see the empires that are active in our time. Empires, whether they are called that or not, are always seeking more power, and they will sacrifice people for it. A few weeks ago, maybe some of you saw this in the news, Kenya's ambassador to the UN, Martin Kamani, gave an impassioned speech reminding the world that empire is not new. Empires divided Africa up. Nations were drawn by powers far away from them. So every time we look at a map, we see the violence of empire. The boundaries of whole countries, not just in Africa, but around the world, are the legacy of empire. And Mr. Kamani gave this speech to call the world's powers to pay attention to the threat of empire now. 
We've all watched, most of us horrified, as Russia invaded the Ukraine just a few days ago, a blatant example of empire in our world at this very moment. Those of us who can see news are seeing violence being done to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters in real time, probably even now as we worship together. I read an article in The Atlantic this week by Ann Applebaum that put this into stark terms, this reality that empire is alive in our world, just as it was when Pilate governed. She wrote about how we expect some permanence about nations. We think they're fixed. And we hold on to illusions about the way our world works, how things are negotiated and worked out. She talks about how Russia's actions breached the norms that we thought we could rely on. And she said that if anyone was still under the illusion that nations would not use violence against innocent people, that illusion is well and truly gone because that is happening right now. She describes it in the sharpest terms. She says Vladimir Putin's paranoid ranting has frightened even people who were lauding his savvy just a few days ago. He's a cold-blooded dictator, happy to murder hundreds of thousands of neighbors and impoverish his nation if that's what it takes to remain in power. However this war ends, and many scenarios are still imaginable, we already live in a world with fewer illusions. Fewer illusions about the reality of violence in our world. Unless we here in this beautiful space on this Lent Sunday think that we're far from empire, that it only asserts itself in other places and it only comes with tanks and military action, looking at Pontius Pilate also gives us some truth about home. In this country, we find ourselves again in an election year. It feels like they're coming faster and faster these days, doesn't it? And while our political parties don't use language of empire, at least not in public or not yet, they sure do use the word control a lot. They're fighting for control of the country, control of the government, control of the Congress, control of the systems under which we all live. And as I read Matthew's gospel several times this week, I pictured the crowd in front of Pilate. And it wasn't a stretch for me to see in my mind's eye footage from too many political rallies to count with a candidate whipping up a crowd, egging on a chant, even a chant that threatens violence against an opponent, even if that opponent happens to be another human being. I can see a whole slew of politicians on stages in front of frenzied supporters laughing at a culture of violence, or metaphorically washing their hands of it, feigning innocence, and claiming only to be doing what the people want. Whether we are at the rally, whether we join in the chant or not, we're part of a culture that glorifies power, even if the power comes with violence. Our world of media gives us a lot of violence to see and even feeds us more of it depending on what we watch or what we click. Our world of commerce, tangled webs of production and distribution means that when we buy things, we often don't know what it took to make them or get them to us. We don't always know where our money's going and 
we might even be funding the expansion of empire. Looking at the character of Pontius Pilate helps us translate that sort of Bible-y idea of powers and principalities into what is in front of us right now. Pilate's not a cartoon villain. He was a governor. He represented an empire that held power with violence. Even now, our world is marred by the same pattern. Power does violence. Violence secures power. From outright war on Ukraine to the legacy of colonialism to an ever-growing level of violent rhetoric and politics and government here in this country that we love to things I haven't even named that you all will think about this afternoon. Looking at the character of Pilate in Lent, this day invites us to acknowledge that we, like him, are part of a culture of violence. Our culture expects it, promotes it, rationalizes it, in some ways even relies on it. That's a hard truth to name. It's painful to look at the world's violence and not turn away. It's maybe even more painful to think honestly about how we're part of it. But Lent is a season for releasing illusions and being honest. Lest that be too heavy, Lent is also a time of good news. Because this journey we're on, this Lenten journey, leads to the salvation of the world. Thanks be to God. We just heard it in Psalm 2 as Sadie read it for us that even though nations conspire, even though people plot in vain, kings of earth pursue their own power, our Lord laughs. Our Lord dashes their empires like pieces of broken pottery. Our Lord is stronger than their power and will break its bonds. Some of us in the world, in this room, among our many networks of friends, some of us have suffered under today's Pontius Pilots. Maybe others of us have looked away as empires gathered power. At Lent, we hear this good news. Our Lord is calling all of us back. May we have the courage to drop our illusions and the humility to repent of our sins. Amen.